Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to today's episode. We got predictions today. Predictions are so much fun. Love doing them. But the better part today is we're not the ones actually doing the predictions today. We're going to be talking about the predictions. You see, we have today a good friend of ours and a fellow industry member, Dustin Woodhouse. Dustin's been a friend for, I think, five or six years. Uh, he's also an incredibly co accomplished past mortgage broker, transitioned into becoming a president of one of the largest brokerage firms in the country, Mortgage Architects, which is where we actually hang our hat proudly. So now Dustin's a, a very interesting cat. He likes data, he likes information, and he loves teaching and articulating information. And he's definitely never been afraid to provide his feedback around predictions. So we thought we'd bring on a fellow industry member to have a fun little conversation around what Dustin's thinking for the rest of 2022 and uh, directions as to where he perceives things to go, especially when it comes to interest rates, the bank, investment properties, and so forth. And we had a fun little roundtable uh, talking about these considerations. So this will be a fun interview. It doesn't matter who you are, uh, end user, buyer, investor, uh, mortgage broker, realtor, anybody's going to get value out of this conversation and have a lot of fun. And I can't wait to come back uh, with, to, to Dustin a year from now and have a conversation about where things were. So um, listen to the episode, guys. I hope you absolutely love it. And don't forget, this episode is brought on Free of charge to you guys. The only thing that we ask for is if you're loving the episode to leave us a five-star review on Apple iTunes, assuming that we deserve it, of course, and share this out on your Instagram, tag us on Facebook, share it to a friend, whatever you'd like. That would mean the world to us. We do this late at night and early in the morning. And uh, it's just a, you know, a pride project, a passion project. So we'd love if you shared in that passion and helped us spread the good word. Uh, as always, I'm Alex McFadden. We've got Dean Lawton and Derek Williamson, the partners here and owners of Thrive Mortgage Co. If you want to find out more about how to create more wealth in real estate and just do a better job with your own existing mortgage, renew, refinance, purchase, whatever, reach out to us on our website, thrivemortgage.ca or Instagram at Thrive Mortgage Co. Enjoy the episode. We'll see you on the other side. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. All right, welcome to the show, Mr. Woodhouse. Nice to have you on board. As everyone listened to in the introduction, you are a, a friend, but also the president of Mortgage Architects and a former broker, someone who's done thousands of mortgage transactions and continues to see hundreds across your desk on a daily basis, talking to people all over the industry, from bankers to brokers to all sorts of other people out there and a wealth of information, someone who stays tapped in. And we're excited to have you on the show here today, Dustin. Thanks for joining us. Hey, appreciate the opportunity, man. As you know, I uh, kind of eat, sleep and breathe all things mortgage related. So yeah, let's do this. We brought you on, well, we wanted to get you on here for ages, but uh, we saw a great opportunity to get you on the show here today to talk a little bit about a video that you published about a week and a half ago, or early February, discussing some of your predictions in 2022. Now, I know you mentioned this going into the video that it's a little bit late going into the year to, to offer predictions, but I, I do, I would disagree with that because you can predict any length of time ahead of you. And it's interesting, once you've had a month under your belt, you can kind of look back and say, okay, 
Now we have a little bit of the lay of the land. Here's where the trends are headed. And your trends are, you know, some of them are, are interesting and, and unique and surprising and other ones maybe not so much, but I, I definitely think a lot of the listeners here are, are going to learn a lot from the reasons why you're predicting it. So we have, I think we have six total uh, predictions that we'll walk through here today and we'd love to get into it. So Dustin, maybe give us a little bit of a preface to what made you come up with these ideas or predictions or what you got, what got you thinking about them? As I say, eat, sleep, and breathe all things uh, mortgage-related, real estate-related. Uh, bought my first piece of real estate when I was, I closed on it when I was, I think I just turned 20, uh, so 30 years ago. And uh, incorporated uh, my first company when I was 18, 32 years ago. So yeah, I've been a self-employed, incorporated individual, which means no pension. And so how are you going to plan for your retirement? Uh, well, probably the way 80% of the world's millionaires became millionaires uh, through real estate. And still working on getting my way into that category uh, in, in some respects, but real estate is traditionally uh, a very safe path to wealth because in real estate, there's no sell button on the end of your keyboard when you panic and think everything's going sideways, you just liquidate with a keystroke as you can with so many other investment models. It's much more clunky and cumbersome. And usually by the time your panic subsides, you've calmed down and you haven't got around to listing it, let alone selling it. So it's, I've always looked at it as protection from myself. And, uh, and so, as I say, I've just been drawn to all things real estate, tracking interest rates, as I say, for three decades and watching the predictions uh, you know, I titled that that video predictions, pundits and irony, because all these predictions get made year in and year out by the pundits out there with lots of letters after their name and, you know, a degree they got 20, 30, 40 years ago that I suppose validates them uh, to some extent. But the irony in that is the, the, the predictions are almost always wrong. And so as much as, you know, again, the, the other twist of irony is as much as I don't like predictions. I thought, you know what, I might as well get in this game and make a few of my own. So the advent of all of us being uh, you know, on video and recording things like crazy lately, I thought, okay, great. Now I'll have a record of what I said to go back a year or two later and we'll see where things, uh, where things stand a year or two from now in relation to what I predicted. So we'll see. Fair point. I'm also curious too. We'll put tabs on this and we'll throw it in the calendar for a year from now and see where we stand. <laughs> That's the beauty of video, right? That you can go back and, and fact check your, your predictions and see where you landed. It's pretty cool. I mean, I've been an eternal optimist on, on Vancouver real estate in particular, uh, as long as I've, I've been an owner of it, because you can just, you can see where everything is going when you live in the middle of it. I mean, it's such a fantastic spot globally, you know, rule of law, political stability. Yes, Canadians like to make a lot of hay about, uh, you know, the political instability of Canada, but really on a global stage, we're in an incredibly stable country with, with property rights, human rights that, that lead. And so it's an attractive spot, not only to be, it's a very attractive spot for your money to be. One line that always sticks with me, uh, globally, the majority of money out there isn't just looking for a return on capital. They're actually, in a lot of cases, they're just simply looking for a return of their capital. They just want to park it somewhere where it's safe, where they're going to get it back. If they get a return on it, great. But really, they're just hoping to be able to get it back. And, uh, and I think, again, you know, when, we're, when we're too insular, we don't realize 
how good we have it here. Really good point. And I mean, just talking about living and breathing and being in, in the middle of this market, I mean, like us, right? If you've been in this market for five, six years and in this industry day to day, we all kind of saw these trends coming. It's like the detached market blows up and then it goes down to townhouses and they blow up and then the condos blow up and that's kind of where we're at right now. And then it looks like we have more inventory coming, which could potentially and should hopefully slow the market a little bit. And I mean, we've been talking about this for a year and a half already, right? So it's interesting. Once you're, when you're in it all day, it's, it starts to just become uh, repetitive, I guess you could say, when these markets hit. Well, and I'm a, you know, a, a touch older than you guys and, um, uh, I mean, I actually wrote a series, a five-part blog post series 10 years ago now, it was 2012 when I wrote it, titled, How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bubble, uh, AKA There Is No Bubble. Because 10 years ago, everybody said, oh, prices can't go any higher, it's a bubble, oh my gosh, get out, blah, 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 blah. This is the same old stuff that you hear over and over and over. And I mean, interestingly enough, I don't think I actually had in my list of predictions a prediction on home prices uh, per se, but that's the number one thing that people are concerned about. And uh, yeah, to your point, I mean, I've, I've kind of been making the case for the reality, the fundamentals that do exist that support the prices for a decade. And those fundamentals are still there. I, I actually have a fun little bit on it that I do. Uh, it's, it's really fun in a, in a crowd, especially a crowd of older people in particular. I, I feel like I'm safe saying that at 50, I can, I can talk about older people because I am one. And I like to highlight the fact that in Vancouver, we do have this specific group that really do cause a problem within the real estate market. And you know who I'm talking about. And then you see the heads turn and they start nodding and murmuring to one another like, like they have the answer. They don't have the answer. They're making a, an assumption that's based on a lot of media and everything else. The real problem with the Vancouver real estate market is a specific group. It's teachers, nurses, firefighters, and cops. Because if they work a little overtime, if they have a degree, they all make a hundred grand a year each, and they all marry one another. And you know, I'm being a little bit lighthearted here, but but it's true. We see it over and over again, and that's a two hundred thousand dollar a year household income taxed at a twenty five percent rate because, of course, income splitting. They're each earning their own income, so you know they've got a pretty solid income, right? About one hundred and fifty thousand a year, so a little over ten thousand dollars per month cash in their hands. So if you've got $10,000 cash every month coming in, a $4,000 mortgage payment on a million dollar mortgage, that might seem like a big number to a lot of people. But when you've still got say $6,500 left over after the million dollar mortgage payment uh, for groceries and insurance and, and the fundamentals of life, uh, and perhaps you've also bought you know, a house with a basement suite. So the basement suite's rented out for say 2,000, covering half your mortgage payment. You know, how are you gonna get by on that remaining 8,500 a month, or even the 6,500 if there was no suite? Pretty easily. So fundamentally, that is what's driven the market a lot of dual income households. And I don't mean to pick on those four professions in, in any negative fashion. They're just, they're, they're big employers. Like those are significant employment uh, roles in the lower mainland. I didn't know what direction you were gonna go with that, but that made a lot of sense as far as how you position that and, and where, I mean, it, I mean, we could talk a little bit about what that looks like now going forward over the future, as we can see where that came from, from the history. But um, 
I think we definitely got to we got to start digging into these predictions here, Dustin, and then we'll dig back into why house prices continue to be where they are, because I know that's one of your predictions, or at least we can riff on that from there. So let's, uh, without, without uh, you know, delay, I'd say we get into it, and I'm going to let you kind of jump into it right off the bat here, because these are your predictions, my friend. Jump in uh, with number one, and, and let's talk about it. Well, short and sweet, I mean, prediction number one is that, uh, sadly, very sadly, in 2022, a record number of Canadians will lock into fixed-rate mortgages from their variable, or just going into a brand new mortgage will opt into a fixed rate mortgage. And, and, and I say sadly because I know it's already happened. I know that the media stoked fear about there's going to be a rate increase and nobody does the math. Nobody does the math on what that increase actually means. Call your broker, have a conversation with your broker about what does a quarter point increase, half point, three quarter point, what does that actually mean to your payment? And it's fascinating to me that people would opt to give all that extra interest to a lender rather than perhaps resetting the payment to that fixed rate payment amount but keeping their variable variable rate mortgage and all that extra money then goes to the principal pay down. But the prediction is really just a, a reality, right? Media creates fear. We like fear. We click on fear. So the media keeps giving us more of it and this is what it leads to. It leads to bad math and bad decisions. I would say arguably a record number of clients, especially within our company, have gone variable in the last two years. So to the, to your point, like a lot of those people are now thinking like, oh gosh, I got to lock in or, you know, my, my mortgage is coming up. I need to lock in because where rates are going to go. And if you look at it, we are at pre-pandemic levels for fixed rate mortgages. We, we, we've come right up, right back up. And you know, all this media talk is all about rates are going up, rates are going up. But a lot of Canadians don't understand that specifically for the prime rate. And it's, we're not talking about a big increase here. And But they're just hearing rates are going up, rates are going up, and they're locking in where not realizing they really are selling themselves short. Like, I don't believe now is the time to lock in. Even if you do want to lock in, I don't believe now is the time. No. And we'll, and we'll get back to the prime conversation on prediction number three. <laughs> <laughs> Before I got to my desk here, I had four emails this morning. This morning, we're we're a week out, maybe two weeks out from the next Bank of Canada decision, which were specifically, I saw X in the news. My friends are all telling me X. Should I lock in because of X? I'm concerned because of X. And these are all people that are well overqualified to hold their mortgages. And we've had very in-depth conversations about prepayment penalties and concerns. But it's just, it almost feels to me, and I know this conversation isn't about fixed or variable, so I won't take it all the way down that road, but it just feels to me like, like no matter how many conversations you have, the news just continues to push this down your throat and you just can't get away from it. Hey, it doesn't matter that you just spent, you know, 150 bucks on dinner last night, um, but if your if your monthly mortgage payment went up by $43, you wouldn't be able to survive, right? That's That's what... Uh, a lot of the feedback is that I that I hear right in that sentence that you uh, where you, you said X a number of times X equals fear. Well, right now, I mean, it's it's almost a no brainer to go variable because the spread between the two, right? Like we have one and a half percent between the two. So even if the predictions are correct and rates increase six times, I mean, you're just matching the fixed rate. Maybe you end up a little bit below, but you save money all the way up. Where I agree with your prediction, Dustin, is if we fast forward a year. And maybe variables at two and a half, who knows, and, and fixes at three. I think that's where people kind of put their blinders on because they don't look at that spread, right? And they're not they're not thinking as much about the flexibility about the product. They're just simply basing it on the actual interest rate. And that's where we see more people, especially dealing with their institutions, 
opting for that fixed rate. Let's talk about the landmine buried in the fixed rates, but let's talk about it in the context of prediction number two, because we all know what's buried in that fixed rate conversion uh, that, that the lender never brings up ever, ever. But skilled brokers like yourselves focus on this point. So prediction number two, banks will report record earnings. Now these were predictions written on February 9th and uh, as of today, I believe I just saw this morning, RBC released earnings that were <gasps> record setting. I mean, again, I'm older. I remember the first time a bank reported $1 billion in quarterly earnings. That was a big deal. Uh, they had 4.4 billion net for Q for, for Q1. That's right, because their fiscal year ends October 31st. I mean, it's unbelievable, unbelievable. So a big part of why they're going to report these record earnings circles back to prediction number one, because dear listeners, when you opt for a fixed rate mortgage with a major chartered bank in particular, but also a variety of other lenders, contact your local broker for clarity, i.e. these guys, um, what isn't discussed often enough, but I'm sure is always discussed in your guys' office, is the difference in prepayment penalties and the statistical likelihood of triggering those penalties. And here's just a real dollars, real world example. Gentleman locked into a 1.78 five-year fixed mortgage 18 months ago, and life threw him a series of very heavy curveballs, forcing him to sell. He is not porting the mortgage to a new property. Uh, it's a big life change that's happening for this gentleman. And uh, the penalty would have been on a $1.2 million mortgage, about $4,800 if it was a variable rate mortgage, $4,800 in less than half a percent of the balance. Instead, he is paying an $84,000 penalty, 7% of the balance because he's in a fixed rate mortgage. And it doesn't matter, as we know, as we just discussed, that interest rates have risen. No, it's still not a three month interest penalty because the game is fixed. It's rigged. Banks don't earn a billion dollars per month by accident. They don't. So based on prediction number two, there's a stock market recommendation for you. Buy bank stocks. If you're gonna buy any stocks, if you're gonna play the stock market, buy Canadian bank stocks because their earnings are not going anywhere. I don't know if this is, uh, you talk about profits here and the number two being that banks are gonna continue to have the biggest profits or the largest profits ever. Uh, I think there's a, a false assumption here in Canada that the banks are here to protect us and provide us with the best possible advice and be loyal to us. Um, I always reference it because it's true because how many people have we hired now on our team from banks and or have experience there. And Dustin, you could probably speak to thousands of, well, maybe not thousands, but hundreds of brokers you've talked to who came from banks. The banks are literally the biggest sales centers in the country, like they're sales breeding grounds. And sales is not a bad thing because people need something and they're here to help you. And But what I'm trying to suggest here is at the end of the day, they want to sell you something because it profits them and it makes them money, uh, primarily what they're offering, not what someone else is offering. And that'll get into a later conversation about the broker game, but um, hey man, they're not dumb. <laughs> they're doing the right things. And you can't hold it against the banks. The bank no. is a shareholder owned, profit driven corporation in a capitalist society. And I mean, at heart, I'm a socialist with a calculator. I like to do math. So at heart, I'm also a conservative, but with a conscience for my fellow man. Like I'm your typical Canadian. I'm kind of in the middle, not hard right, not hard left or hard right, hard left, depending on how you're viewing this. Um, 
I'm, I'm like the majority of Canadians. I'm kind of in the middle. Like I like to do math. I don't want to overspend. I like opportunity to win. So we can't hold, you know, this against the banks. I mean, that's our system, capitalism, but recognize it for what it is. I think that's the biggest thing. Just recognize it. Like how, how could you look at it any other way? It's no different than walking into a car dealership and the car salesman selling you on all the fully loaded you know, Chrysler Pacifica van versus the basic model. It's no different. They're just trying to make a more profit for their business. That's all. And buried in that sales contract, if you outright purchase a motor vehicle today from the majority of American manufacturers is a sales clause and the dealer will actually register against, they'll register a $1 lien against your vehicle that you've paid cash for and own completely because you are not allowed to sell that vehicle in the first 12 months. Gentleman with an Escalade in Edmonton just made the news on this topic. Read the fine print. Yeah, well, it's to stop the export problem because there's so many Canadian vehicles just being absorbed at Canadian retail prices, but then shot down to the US for the, the profit margin. And it's created a lot of headaches for the manufacturers. But people don't read what they're signing. People don't understand the penalty clauses in the contracts they sign. One last point on that there, uh, and this is probably where false education comes in, and we'll keep moving forward on your predictions, but uh, I guess there was some false news spread around, I don't know where, but I, I've heard it many times, where if you lock into a low, like one of those 1.8 or 1.9 fixed rate mortgages, which good on you if you got those rates and terms in place and you don't move, that's great. But if you locked into those, um, a few years ago that if the rates went up, the prepayment penalty would revert back to three months of interest. Now, we obviously know that's not the case for most institutions and, and products and how they work, but I actually got off the phone call yesterday with three, three separate people and they couldn't port, uh, we get that again, different conversation. They can't move their mortgage to another property and they were shocked to find out that they were in fact paying these large penalties. So number two, I think is in fact correct. And I, I'm going to just basically suggest I'll I'll cap it there, but there's a lot of false information and that stuff will, will kick some people's asses in a few years, that's for sure. Let's go to three. Oh yeah, that's probably my most wild prediction in the eyes of a lot of people. Um, March 2nd, I believe, is the next Bank of Canada meeting and I am predicting there will be no movement on March 2nd whatsoever, just as I predicted there would be no movement on the last meeting. And ultimately the prediction is, I've sort of covered myself a little bit, uh, a net zero increase in the prime lending rate by the end of the year, which is to allow for the potential of an increase of a quarter point or even a half point. But I think if the Bank of Canada does that, they're going to have to back it right down. And that was a prediction I actually put in writing back in December. but. It was in writing, it wasn't out there and recorded and everything else. So it's it's a Feb 9th prediction at this point. Uh, but yeah, I, I just think that all of this talk of, you know, the headlines last fall that mushroomed like crazy with four rate hikes per year for the next two years. And the media just splashed that everywhere. And, and what they really did was they sampled half a dozen bank economists and they took the most extreme, ridiculous assertion and made that the headline. And then they buried way down in the bottom another very intelligent, well-accredited individual representative of another major bank, uh, his prediction that now nah, maybe we'll see three increases at best, right? <laughs> like, you know, but everybody set their hair on fire, which I don't have much to do that with, about four increases per year for two. And I, I disagree. And the reason I disagree is life experience. 
I mean, I've, I've watched how over and over and over every year economists make these predictions for these radical rate hikes, and then guess what happens? Something they didn't expect. That's called life. Like, life is full of the unexpected. I mean, we're recording this on a morning that we're seeing a country roll into another country and start a war. That, for a lot of us, I think, just seems unfathomable. Like, we're coming out of a pandemic. You know, we're shifting from pandemic to endemic. I think no one really is too sure. And somebody's got time to start a war now? Like, we need that? You know, but that's not going to be stable. And I don't think that was expected six months ago. So, yes, a net zero increase on Prime. So if you're in a variable rate mortgage, which I am personally, because I do eat my own cooking, um, stay variable. Life is variable. So your mortgage should be too, right? I'm rooting for that prediction. I'm rooting for that. <laughs> 10 years ago, I stood before an audience that virtually none of them believed me. 10 years ago of real estate investors. And I said, guys, most of you, all you need is 10 more years of really low rates and the rate of mortgage pay down that you're achieving, just hold your properties. You're gonna be in an amazing position. And there were people in the room predicting 6%, 9%. One of them was you know, double digits. And, uh, and, and lo and behold, what did we get? 10 years of rock bottom rates. And you know, I'm, I'm predicting this year uh, rock bottom again, but I, I'd say the same thing. The next decade, it's gonna take us a decade to dig out of this. It's gonna be rock bottom rates. There's certainly a lot of work to do, and and you're right. Life is variable, and and who would have thought we're we're dealing with what we're dealing with this morning, and and that all plays into a a, a major piece of this decision coming up. I, I believe that, and and to your point, like the media was like it was seventy percent chance it was going up in January. It's like I don't know where they get these percentages, but. Of course, they weren't going to raise rates in January. We're, Ontario is in a lockdown, the biggest province in our country. Like, the, if you just really read between the lines and, and look at this with a, some common sense, I think I think you'd be on the same page as us. The unfortunate part is that there is not a ton of common sense out there, especially for people that just simply don't understand real estate mortgages. On Facebook this morning, I saw an article that said rising rates will push 35% of Canadians to bankruptcy. Oh, bankruptcy. You had to bring it up. I saw that headline too. I was biting my tongue. <laughs> but like, come on, right? You, you got to put yourself in people's shoes that aren't in our shoes. And if you don't understand the financial side of, of, our, of our business, why would you not believe that? Right? And like, I have clients call me and ask these questions every single week. It's just, it's unfortunate what the media puts out there. And it does have an impact. It does have an impact on the market. 40% of homeowners in Canada have no mortgage whatsoever, meaning they have zero interest rate exposure whatsoever. Of the remaining 60% of homeowners that have a mortgage, the average balance is $400,000. But we'll circle back to that. 80% of them are in fixed rate mortgages. So rising rates, whether they're fixed or the Bank of Canada Prime, don't mean a thing. To 80% of those people, they certainly don't mean a thing to 80% of that 80% who have two, three, four, and five years left on the typical five-year term that, that that 80% took. And of the other 20% coming up for renewal, they're coming out of 2.75% rate mortgages because that's what they locked into five years, four years ago, five years ago. 
and they're coming right back into an interest rate that's the same as it was, and they experienced a record pay down on their mortgage balance. So yeah, what are we talking about? And then that 20% in the variable rate mortgages, a whole bunch of them are in variable rate mortgages, not adjustable rate mortgages, which means the payment doesn't even change if prime moves. So the whole notion of one in three Canadians being driven, like, hey, sure, you know what? If interest rates go to 62%, yeah, 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 probably one in three of us will go, go bankrupt. But interest rates are 0.25%, like the overnight lending rate, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's craziness. That, that headline, by the way, that pops up every single year around this time, has done for years, I think almost 10 years running. Uh, it, it traditionally has been more along the lines of the average Canadian household is $200 away from insolvency. Uh, just to circle back here really quickly, uh, you know, number one, uh, record now of Canadians probably are going to lock into fixed rates uh, without doing the due diligence, which everybody who listens to our podcast is doing the due diligence. That's obviously not these folks, but all those other people who may not have access to it yet could be the case. Number two, banks are going to make bank. They're going to do real well, profit, very good. Uh, and the prediction number three, prime may go up uh, and it may come back down or it might just stay up a little bit. Not what the uh, the pundits are predicting. Let's get into, um, I guess we kind of switched up your prediction. So on our end, uh, the, the share, the broker share, how many people are funding what types of mortgages and what does that look like? And why do our listeners even give a crap? Five years ago, there were 18,000 mortgage professionals. In 2016, there were 18,000, six years ago now, there were 18,000 mortgage professionals operating in a $400 billion annual mortgage market, owning about 25% of that space. So one in four mortgage transactions was, was going through a broker, one in four. Fast forward five years, 2021 wrapped up with 27,000 mortgage professionals nationwide. So it's a growing industry. And the reason it's growing is because the market share is also growing that brokers have. So we the, the market is growing. It went from a $400 billion market to a $600 billion market by most estimates. And the broker share went from 100 billion, 25% to 200 billion. So strictly speaking, we, we doubled our overall production uh, and we did not double the number of bodies, which is something reflective of, you know, it's reflective in the faces of most brokers because they're very stressed out. They're very worn out. The last two years have been relentless and they've all been busier than ever. But that's a 33% market share up from 25%. And my prediction is that by the end of 2022, brokers will own 40% of that share. And it really relates to a broader conversation, a more punchy um, prediction or statement, which is the bank branch is dead. Unless unless the banks reinvent their branches as some kind of hipster cross between a coffee shop and a record shop and a Zara, and it's like a cool place, I wanna go hang out and do some financial transactions, I'm never entering a bank branch again. And most Canadians have no need to ever enter a bank branch again. So they're out of the mortgage origination business significantly. And, and the stats are there, we don't need to get into them, but the. The, the stats are there, the branch origination piece, they're out. Now, banks have their own mobile sales forces as well, but overall, the brokers are picking up a huge chunk of that. And, and by 2023, I think it will be 50-50. It'll be individual brokers representing multiple banks, multiple lenders, multiple choice uh, for the consumer, 
versus that individual that represents one entity. And, uh, and you know, Canadians are slow to change behavior, but it's been accelerated over the last two years, hasn't it? 100%. I mean, just one note, I, I, you being a president of a major network in our country, you probably see this more than we do, but I've seen a lot of very good mobile mortgage specialists at the institutions come to the broker channel. So, you know, to your point, the, the mortgage origination is not happening in branches and, the, and the, the mortgage origination that they're getting is likely from these sales professionals that are actually working from home. Uh, on the front lines, getting clientele for the branch, right, or for the institution. Now, seeing those people come into the broker channel, is that? Do you think that's playing a part of it, or is it just like where, where do you think that comes into play? Well, that that is absolutely going to be part of that trend because as that individual representative, and this isn't a sales pitch for brokers, all right. Like it's, I, I'm just in the right place at the right time. I don't have to beat the drum to make this happen. It's happening. I'm, I'm, I'm reporting from the front lines of what ha what's happening. I'm not trying to drive the change when I say what I'm about to say. But the individual who works for one financial institution, and that's the suite of solutions they have, they're increasingly recognizing what I just saw on a demo yesterday. So in the broker channel, we've got a fantastic app that we use, the Mortgage Architects app, Mortgage Planner app in particular, and there's a modification being worked on for that app that is going to allow DCR worksheets to be spread out. Now a DCR worksheet, never use an acronym, what's a DCR worksheet? Dear listener, you don't need to know what a DCR worksheet is, that's a broker thing. But for an individual working at a bank listening to this, they know what a DCR worksheet is. It's a tool that helps them calculate how much mortgage money can be lent to somebody who owns multiple properties. Now, the reason I bring this up is because the tool that I reviewed yesterday, it actually brought 12 different lenders, DCR worksheets, debt coverage ratio worksheets into one, one app. So one interface. So you input the client's data, someone who owns say two or three properties, and it tells you what the maximum purchase price you can work with is. And the range amongst major Canadian financial institutions for the one example that we worked, the purchase price ranged from 477 to 825. That is a massive, massive spread. And if you're a banker working at that institution and it was a major institution that has limited this individual to a $477,000 purchase, meanwhile, you're, you, you know of a broker or someone at the other institution that has access to a, the same tools, but it allows for an $825,000 purchase, you're, you're wondering, well, what am I doing here? Like you're, you're losing business because of all of these nuances and all of these variances across the board. Why would you wanna be stuck with any one of those 11 lenders that are below the 825? Why wouldn't you wanna be in a world where you've got access to that 825? And to make it client friendly here, why would you want to be taking a guess as to when you walk into one door of one institution or the other, is this the one that's going to get me 477 or is this the one that's going to get me 825? No, you work with a broker. That solves that question. You know, but that also speaks to the complexity of brokering and why there's no app that's going to remove us completely from the equation anytime soon and why our channel will continue to grow. It's a complicated business. It really is. Yeah, that's a good point. I just, uh, just to end it on that note, I just saw some funny meme of a of a realtor talking about 
that, you know, robots are going to replace us and, and, and realtors. And then he's standing at Walmart and the people can't figure out the self-checkout machine. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> it's so true, right? Like we're, you need, you need professional advice. And especially what we find is the education is so important. Actually understanding what you just spoke about there. It's like, that's the education side. That's so important to understand too. Yep. Without a doubt. And, you know, that kind of leads into prediction number five uh, on our list here, which is what's happening with investment properties. So that individual that we need that special worksheet for because they own more than one door or they're wanting to buy an investment property, uh, what's going to happen? Well, uh, being a landlord has never really been something you wanted to bring up in dinner conversation because landlords have traditionally kind of always been beat up a little bit, which is Really unfortunate because mom and pop landlords, uh, as, as they're referred to, the, the individuals who buy that one condo or two condos uh, to help bolster their retirement, or maybe that is the fundamental basis of their retirement plan, uh, they've always gotten beat up a little bit. And, uh, and, and it's kind of sad because they're providing much needed housing for the individual who can't otherwise qualify to purchase something themselves. And... Um, Anyway, bottom line is the prediction is this. Minimum down payment requirements will most likely go from 20% to 35% because that's the government's illogical, and I do stress, illogical path to creating more properties for first-time homebuyers to go buy. And I say illogical because all that's really doing is saying, hey, middle class who might have managed to save up enough for a down payment on a second property and may want to make an investment in a property and provide a housing unit for someone who can't afford to purchase a housing unit. Uh, you know what? Real estate investment is now for the, the upper middle class, for the upper, upper, upper echelons of the middle class, for the, for the wealthy. And that's largely what a lot of these changes have done over the past 10 years. And I'll try not to get on my soapbox, but the bottom line is Demand-side economics is what the government, in particular CMHC, pushed on us for the past six years in particular, and it's, it's a flawed model. Demand-side economics does not work, and do we need any more evidence than where prices have gone over the past six years since they started putting all these different limitations in place? But I still predict it's going to happen anyway. We've talked about this on previous podcasts um, and kind of where I saw this going with this 35% down is you're right. There are going to be certain people that are, that are impacted and they can no longer buy that investment property. But if you're in the market locally, your property is appreciated 40% in one year alone, right? A lot of these people do have the equity to tap into if it isn't cash and you can still make that 35% down work. Even if you do own a townhouse in Langley or Cloverdale or Abbotsford, Chilliwack, right? Like you probably can come up with the cash if you've been in the market for the last five years to to meet this new potential, you know, goal of 35% down. And hey, maybe more people actually do it because now you're cash flowing. A lot of people don't buy properties locally with 20% down because it, you know, you're out of pocket month over month and some people can't afford that. So I don't know, it's hard to say. There's definitely people that will be impacted if this does happen, but there's a lot of people that will still be able to make it work. I mean, we talk about this a lot and it's always nice to, to just remind our listeners about the house hack where, you know, you just convert your current primary into a, a rental and buy your next primary. The final prediction plays into all of this, and it speaks to a lot of what we've spoken about. Why am I such an optimist, which I hope has come through during this conversation? 
because again, I would predict on the heels of record population growth inside Canada, largely thanks to immigration, which I think is one of the pillars of being Canadian, is that we have open arms and we welcome people in. And uh, I think by 2026, we're going to see record growth again, but I'm predicting an increase in the population of 4 million. Over the last five years, the population increased by 2 million. I think over the next five, it will increase by four. And I think that all projections on what the government is saying needs to be built for housing, I think, first off, a lot of those projections, they may not be hit. They might be hit. I'll, I'll try and remain optimistic that we'll actually hit those projections. But I think that those projections are going to fall short of where we really need to be, which you know, brings us all the way full circle back to the bottom line. 10 years ago, why did I say housing prices when the average home price was just hitting a million dollars in the city of Vancouver? Why did I say that was not only sustainable, but it was just the beginning? For the same reason that I believe the prices today are not only sustainable, but will continue to go up because supply, supply, supply. We have limited supply hot demand that's not going anywhere. And if anything, the pandemic has made us look even more attractive as a place to be. More Canadians than ever were forced to travel inside their own borders for the better part of two years. And there's a lot of people from east of Chilliwack who've discovered the lower mainland and they've gone, whoa, why are we going through a 40 below winter every year? Uh, let's, let's not do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, in migration, immigration, and, you know, yeah, I know our birth rate's a little on the low side, but, you know, still, birth. Uh, that's, that's what's going to be the driver. So, yeah, increased population, increased demand. Will the supply match it? Probably not. Probably not, I think, is a, is, is a hopeful way to put it. No, it will not. <laughs> Hands down, it will not. Well, these are good. These are good. So, so date stamp that, time stamp that, February 2022. Uh, well, I mean, if you're listening to this in March, you're probably getting a ton of value. So stamp it however you like. But we're going to circle back in a year from now and and have a discussion. And Dustin, we'll uh, certainly come back and, and uh, have you back on the show again to talk about some of those uh, topics that we got into. I wish we had more time to do that. But hey, this just leaves a little bit more juice to squeeze for the future conversations and future episodes. And uh, you know, folks, if you found a lot of value from this episode here with Dustin, which I know you did, uh, make sure to send us a message to the feedback channels on Instagram at Thrive Mortgage Co. at the YBR Remo Show. And don't probably try to reach Dustin directly because he gets 300,000 messages a day. No, I'm just kidding, Dustin. Uh, it, it, you know, if you're a broker in the space and you want to talk a little bit more to Dustin, maybe reach out to us and we'll do our best to see if we can heck, hook you all up. Uh, unless, Dustin, you want to put on any particular channels you'd like to be reached at? Oh, I, I'm 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 old school. I like an email. I I, I honestly I, I get into the DMs of Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn about once a week. Uh, it's it's tough these days, isn't it? There's so many different ways to reach people, but uh, track my email address down. It's not hard to find, and uh, I'm I'm making you work for it a little bit. And sure, like fire me an email if you want to chat and uh, keep it short and sweet, and you will get a fast response. Write me a thousand word essay. I'll read it, but responding might be challenging. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us today, Dustin. Uh, I know we all appreciate it, and uh, we are excited for another big year ahead if your predictions uh, are true. I look forward to reviewing them in uh, 11 months and seeing where we've wound up. <laughs>